Alright. Right. Another, uh, another... That's what I got. It's also only 95 calories. I mean, that's honestly oh, that's nice. garbage, but... Yeah. Yeah, you know, I can't get around to beer because it tastes like piss. I can't, I just can't do it. Especially this. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> it's, it's like piss water. Um, but it's cold, so it's a little bit better than pee, which is often warm, I imagine. <laughs> Not yeah, I don't that I've tried that. that. But I, it comes out of your body and bodily fluids are like yeah, probably warm. You're anyway. Right. And that is how we are going to introduce our first session. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Rocks Fall, Everyone Dies, Wine and Spirits Edition. My name is Tommy, and today I'm interviewing... It's DeSavra, a.k.a. Greg. And you can tell it's me because I'm already starting off with something like bodily fluids, and I know yeah, that I know. Scott is going to listen to that and say, I hate her. I hate her <sighs> so much. Editor's note, exasperated sigh. But it's iconic. You know, if it anything, really it's on brand now. It's, this is your brand. It's on brand, like, yeah. <laughs> just... Oh, God, that's so gross. <laughs> so, we got a lot to talk about. We're in Gambladina. First of all, I just want to say cool name. Yeah. Dope name. Truly. <laughs> yeah. Second of all, the last big arc that we just had. I don't know about you, but I've never wanted to play a wizard more in my life. I know. <laughs> because there's like all of these little moments where it's like, okay, identify this, identify that. I hope you know that Banked has like both the wisdom and intelligence of like 11. So <laughs> none of that is in Banks category to do anything like that. Yeah, and then- Oh, go on, sorry. Well, I was just going to say that me as Tommy, as a player, I'm the one that's always putting my foot forward saying, oh, we should probably do this. We should probably do that. Let's go take a look at this. And then, of course, the DM would naturally say, sure, Tommy, why don't you do the check then? And I'm like, mm, bad idea. <laughs> um, so now playing a warlock, I feel like I always have to take a back seat to the people that have the stats to do certain things. I don't know. How do you feel about that? Well, I'm like a newer player, but I do understand it probably is frustrating. Greg is a beast, by the way. Greg is a beast. <laughs> so I don't know if you guys know that, but if you're listening, Greg has 220s in his stats, which is unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. And I want to say neither of them are charisma. Even though <laughs> yeah, I know. He's a bard, but like, I, you know what? And his character came out of this idea of like, I want to be a bard that doesn't try to sleep with people. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what Banked was, that I want to play a high charisma person who doesn't seduce people or doesn't want to sleep with people. I didn't realize that. Yeah, that I wanted a high charisma fighter that wasn't charismatic and just came off like not a nice person. I was going to say an ass. Please bear with us as we resolve our technical difficulties. <laughs> <laughs> Always keeping Scott on his toes. That's that's okay. I think that's where a DM should be. Should just yeah. be completely like not prepared. But honestly, points for Scott for being prepared. He is very prepared. I'm, I'm he is very prepared. Extremely impressed. Yeah. But back to the point. So my character right <laughs> in the, in the yeah, game, yeah. I mean, Greg is a beast, so I never run into this problem. 
but or at least I don't as often. But yes, Knock on wood. when we were doing the one shot, the listeners haven't heard this yet. The the one shot that we did where you DM'd, which by the way, that's coming up. Yes, well, yeah, stay tuned, guys. <laughs> stay tuned. It's it's actually it's hilarious. And I was playing flow. I felt like the stats of the character I played was much lower than I was thinking of things, and then like couldn't actually do them. And that was mm-hmm. frustrating, and I did not like that. Yeah. So whenever I'm talking to people that want to play the game for the first time, I always say, okay, well, what's your play style? And then they look at me, and they go, well, I want to punch things. And I'm like, okay, I feel like you're not fully understanding my question. When you approach a conflict or a problem, what is your first area of concern? You want to figure out what stat that directly correlates to and then play a class that revolves around that or play a class that is adjacent to revolving around that. Interesting. Actually, I think that's excellent advice. I wish someone had given me that advice. I think that you would have a great time playing a barbarian because I think that you want to play as someone who is cranky and someone who could punch things very well. I really think that that is your your strong suit. Yes, (laughs) I agree. I think that's my next one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you should. I'm afraid that if I play a wizard, I'm going to die instantly. <laughs> because wizards have a hit dice of a d6, which is really, really low. So generally speaking, wizards have lower HP. But you get like a lot of cool spells, right? You get a lot of cool spells. <laughs> you get a lot of cool features. And if you know how your spells work, you can utilize them so well that you truly become a force to be reckoned with. But I wasn't quite sure how Scott was going to DM, because this is the first time I've ever really done anything with Scott. And then he throws us, like, murder mysteries, and I'm like, oh god, I, I probably should have picked a higher intelligence or higher wisdom character. I'm not gonna lie, I did not expect a murder mystery to I didn't happen expect a murder mystery either. Yeah. At all? Like, that was mm-hmm. really out of nowhere for me. I'm here for it, don't get me wrong. I am too. <laughs> I'm here for it. Yeah, when he pitched it, I thought it was just gonna be, like, angsty, and I'm all about the angsty bullshit. I was like, yes, give me that angsty <laughs> Oh, God. And and somehow I didn't get the twist. Oh, did you not? The obvious <laughs> twist. He kept hinting at it. He did. He's like, you know, I'm really evil. Like, I'm going to do something that's going to make you really angry. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just like, doop, 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 doop. I guess it's going to be a really dark and angsty story. Yeah. You know, part of me kind of wants to just play a cleric. So that way I can just go and revive Nadim. That's all I want to do. Oh my god. Can you change classes? <laughs> well, in Tasha's Cauldron, which is a source book that came out, we're not sponsored. I want to say that there are rules for being able to switch subclasses. I don't know about switching classes. I know that you can multi-class and you can take levels in a new class, but I don't know if I'm down to just start again. But for Nadim. <laughs> yeah, before Nadim. <laughs> Sorry, I have to just pause for one. Oh, one are you second. okay? No, no, I'm okay. Sorry, I'm getting sushi. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> is, that, is that what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Scott, cut that out. <laughs> just make it flow. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what kind of sushi you got there? I have. Speak to me. <laughs> like I don't even know. I have shrimp horror roll. Ooh, this is good. Spicy tuna, and then I have this roll, but I don't know what it is. But it's good. Ooh, looks good. It's like I guess low carb. Sure, sure, because of the no rice. 
I just want to make sure that I say that out loud because the people listening have no idea what you're trying to show me yeah. physically. <laughs> yeah, we're like showing each other food on a podcast. <laughs> oh. The people at home are like, what are they doing? I love donuts so much. I love donuts too. Are Wait, we going to bond? We are going to bond because I actually, so this never happened. Okay. But I always wanted to start a blog oh. on donuts because oh. every time I go to a new place, I always find a local donut shop and try the donuts. So every city I go to, that's like the first thing I do is find a donut shop to find new donuts. Cause I, wow, I, what a great idea. Yeah. Don't take that guys. <laughs> no, no, don't. Absolutely do not. But if you wanted to start a podcast about donuts, like, Let's totally do that. Or at least a blog post, because I feel like a blog post, you'd be able to put up pictures and whatnot. And I feel like donuts, like half of it is being able to see it. You have to be able to see it. And yes, yeah, so I've wanted to like make donuts too. Like that's like another so thing. hard I'm- though. It's so, it's unnecessarily hard. I'm all about that though. I like recently started making bagels. Oh, you have to boil them, don't you? You have to boil them and then bake them? Yeah, so you boil them and you use like malt syrup Uh and you use it both in the dough and then you also use it in the solution. So you also make it like kind of alkaline a little bit like when you're making pretzels. Mm -hmm. So I've been getting into that and I'm like, hmm, bagels, maybe I'm ready for the donuts, but donuts are fried. (laughs) I was going to say it's a completely different process. So I don't know how one really correlates to the other, but you have... But if you have enough energy where you're putting it into making bagels and pretzels and such, I feel like you're already a good step ahead in being mentally prepared for what donuts take. So now I need to know, what's your favorite donut? So for the people listening at home, Desombra and I live in two completely different states. Yep. I live in Florida. Uh, I live in New Jersey. So... In Florida, we have something called Mojo's Donuts. Whatever, doesn't matter. If you go up to Orlando, Disney, Universal, whole nine yards, where Universal sits, they have something called City Walk, and they have a place there called Voodoo Donuts, which is supposed to be one of the best donut places in the U.S. I'm so basic. They have a bubblegum donut, and it's so good. I think that pink is the sweetest color what (laughs) before you judge me here's the thing the sweetest color in the sense that i associate colors to what things should taste like all right fair if i want to eat a candy or some sort of confectionery or whatever if it is pink i expect it to taste even better so I'm sure that there's a lot of brain play working in, and I'm sure it doesn't taste anywhere near as good as some of the other stuff that they have in their place. But yeah, I don't know. I can't explain this to anybody, and I feel so bad about it. Don't feel bad. I was talking to my dad the other day, and he goes, oh, I hate pink food. I don't want to eat pink food. I'm like, why? And he's like, because it doesn't look natural. There's no foods that exist in the wild that are pink. And I'm like, first of all, not true. Second of all, completely the other way around. Pink is a pretty and delicious color. I'm going way too long. That's okay. Long about this. No, no, no. That's okay. That's really interesting. You know, and also with donuts, when you think of like that quintessential like cartoon yeah. donut, it has yeah. the pink frosting on it. I will say same thing with ice cream. When you think of what an ice cream scoop looks like, you always think of pink ice cream, but you never really eat pink ice cream. Right. And normally it's either chocolate or it's vanilla or whatever. Maybe sometimes it's strawberry, but no one really goes to an ice cream parlor to eat strawberry ice cream. And if you do, you have some sort of issue because there's all sorts of better flavors there <laughs> yeah. and it's, you know, whatever. 
I don't know. I think that color has a really important job to deal with how people perceive food. Oh, man. I never really thought of that like that. If you think about it even more, I'm so sorry. I'm going to railroad you. If you think no, about it even more. Do it. Do it. Go with it. I want to hear more about the pink donuts. <laughs> well, I'm going to I'm going to switch gears only slightly. Being that in really, really nice restaurants, they have really dim lighting. Do you want to know why? So you don't see the food. So that way you don't see any imperfections with food. In New York City, there used to be a restaurant where I can't remember the name of the restaurant. I never went there. I, I wanted to go there. But like you walk in and they turn the lights out. That's kind of exciting, though. <laughs> That's kind of cool. Yeah, right. And you're like supposed to experience it as if like, look, it's all just taste. You don't get to actually see it. I love that. It's completely ridiculous. Like, how do you even hold your knife and fork? That's broaching another subject. That there is like a certain amount of theater that comes in with. Oh yeah, absolutely. Fine dining, yeah. And especially like molecular gastronomy. Like when you oh, don't even get me started on molecular gastronomy. <laughs> oh, I'm Wait. such a foodie. I didn't know that. Me too. Yeah, yeah. So a long time ago. I had a best friend. His father was a foodie and a cook who worked at a nice restaurant, and he was trying to branch out into different types of cooking to elevate the restaurant because he, I want to say he inherited it, and he's trying to make it into like finer dining. Not that it wasn't fine, but finer dining. He went to this convention, and they had this whole thing about molecular gastronomy. They gave this grill master a serving spoon and on top of it was this cube of clear jello with different colored small spheres inside of it. And my friend's father took a bite of it and said that it was the best hot dog that he had ever had. <laughs> oh my which just blows my mind. What? It's like, oh god, it's so cool. I don't know what it means, but it's cool. It's like, what else can you do with food? There's a lot. I mean, and I think it's just really interesting how they're kind of like pushing the boundaries of what taste can be and like the combinations. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I saw this thing on TikTok the other day. It was trying to replicate the taste of caviar without actually it being caviar because caviar is sometimes expensive. Not only just expensive, but harvested in a way that is not right. Is it like fragua, where it's really like horrible? Which I have a fragua story, which I will tell you. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I also have a fragua story, not in the sense of fragua, but um, it's not renewable enough, where it's not gonna. It's, it's not. Whatever. Anyways, totally besides the point. These people on TikTok were trying to replicate the taste and the mouthfeel of caviar, and they did so by creating a soy sauce and other umami mixture putting agar agar in it i don't know if you know anything about oh agar, yeah agar. It's like it a, like solidifies stuff. love it yeah it's great yeah <laughs> and they have a cold glass of like vegetable oil or like olive oil and they take pipettes of this cooling agar agar umami liquid and they pipette it into the really dense cold glass of oil and little droplet spheres of the umami syrup water forms. And so when the agar-agar solidifies, the liquid becomes little wannabe caviar pieces. And apparently tastes 
a lot like caviar. So then the question is, how much more can you do with that? Instead of trying to recreate caviar, we can just make a whole new types of foods using the wannabe caviar shape into different types of dishes for different types of mouthfeels because of the agar-agar. Oh, like we can make, <laughs> you know, like the Dippin' Dots, but hot dogs? Like Dippin' Dots, first of all, ew. Second of all, <laughs> little hot dog balls. Maybe certain ideas shouldn't happen. <laughs> I thought about if I could, but I didn't think about if I should. <laughs> There's a certain ethical point of view where you have to be like, I can do this, but should I do it? I don't know. Do we want hot dog balls? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just eating hot dog balls. That's so gross. Yeah. Oh, oh God. Like, imagine Dippin' Dots ice cream. Hot dog balls. God. Realistically, how would you go about that? You wouldn't actually use the hot dog sausage. You would probably use, like, a water stock from it. So now I'm just thinking of, like, hot dog water from, like, a New York City cart being pushed around and, like, big handfuls of that water. <laughs> you have to harvest that water. You have to harvest the water. <laughs> it's gotta be at the end of the season oh, <laughs> so gross but for reals though <laughs> bring it back Those hot dogs are gross but they're delicious they're really good <laughs> oh now i'm just thinking about the grossest things you can make by turning it into caviar so i was originally gonna say pomegranate caviar because you know i hate pomegranate seeds but i love the flavor if you could turn it into a different shape and form i'd love that you could be like here's a baseball pomegranate i don't even know we were supposed to be talking about the podcast and we we're just like the food because everyone loves food and everyone, everyone obviously wants to listen to us talk about food i would be so on board to be in a food-based D game like that needs to be a one shot part of me now wants to write a homebrew food D&D campaign. <laughs> that would be amazing. So so then the question is, would it be fast food or would it be like food food? Would it be like Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs where you're, you're running around with a bunch of different types of food? Or would it be like chefs that are also adventurers trying to band together and a Iron Chef or Chopped like instance where you have to go out into the wilds and prepare the foods yourself or try to replicate them? So I like the second idea. It's very anime to me. Like It's, it's very... <laughs> It's very anime, isn't it? Yeah. I must be the best chef. <laughs> like, food battles. Oh, oh my god. What is that? Oh, god. There's an anime about, like, that is like Is this, there? And I can't think of the name of it. I don't know anything about anime. I tried to get into anime for a boy, and man, was that one of the worst decisions of my life. It's an acquired taste, I think. It is an acquired taste. It's not that I don't like anime. It's just that I don't have enough time to devote to that type of stuff. Unless it's something that I really care about. I have a list of animes that I've been wanting to watch. Now I'm curious, what's on your list? Yeah, Kakaguri, the uh, casino one. Mm -hmm. My sister watches that, I think. Does she like it? She does like it. And then also One Punch Man is on it. And there's another one, I want to say it's JoJo's Bizarre Adventures that's also on it. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. So, and it's because yeah. of a friend that's like, you need to watch it. And I was like, oh, okay. Do you want like your anime not to make any sense? It's been explained to me that if I like, not disjointed, things with non sequiturs, then I would like anime like that. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. So JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is 
quite the ride. There's ups and downs. There's some parts to it that I think drag on. There's a lot of sure. filler. But once you get hooked, you're just like, this is so weird. <laughs> is it bizarre? It's bizarre. Roll credits. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's the interview. That's Bye, it. guys. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good stuff. The only thing I will say that I was not prepared for is there was a lot of brutality towards dogs. Oh. Which is not cool. I'm not down with that. The character's name was Iggy. Well, but Iggy deserved it. Does Iggy deserved it? I don't know anything about it. No, probably not. Um, Iggy's actually a dog. Yeah, I got that. <laughs> I got that. I I got sent a I got sent a photo of uh, Iggy standing up on his hind legs as if he was a human and like having a really buff chest like a kangaroo. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> like like okay, I'm sold. That's it. I mean, a lot of people don't like Iggy. I liked Iggy because Iggy was just an obnoxious character, and I'm all for that. <laughs> Uh, oh, that says a lot about our personalities. Yeah. That you like obnoxious characters and you create Greg. <laughs> yeah. It's like nice to play a character where you can just be like, not mean, but like catty. Catty, sure. You know, almost all of our characters, except for Jen's character, is just straight up rude. Yeah. I mean, my character, your character, and Lena's character, and, and Sanjana are all sort of, sort of rude. Fair. And then in comes Bone Daddy. What's his name? Bone Daddy. <laughs> Daddy Bones. Yeah. Daddy Bones. <laughs> who uh, is a who is a blues singer? No, who is also? Oh, you should be rude. That's my new head cannon. You <laughs> Your new head cannon is that. <laughs> oh God. My headcanon is that he's always walking around in a velvet robe with a glass of wine, which is probably true. Yeah, it's gotta be. Like It's he, probably true. How do you own, like, a keep like that and not just, like, walk around with a robe like you're Hugh Hefner? You yeah. You have to. Like, it's required. Like, it comes with a keep. I want to talk about Call of Cthulhu for just a second, just because I'm looking at my bookshelf in the corner. Call of Cthulhu police are the most useless police to do anything. Because the whole idea is that no one believes you and everyone thinks that you're insane and then crazy stuff's happening in the background. I really want to have a Call of Cthulhu session. And I want to say that I've had this conversation in interviews like three, four times already. And I'm sure that our listeners are tired of hearing me say that. They're like, but... just do it. Just do it They're already. Just do it. Just do it. Stop I'm talking like, about it. So now here's the thing. You get to choose. That's a lot of power. Well, I haven't given you the option yet. So All right, go ahead. Should I focus my energies into writing a Call of Cthulhu one-shot or into a food one-shot? Food wars. <laughs> like Food wars? That is the anime, in fact. Oh, okay. Cool. Food wars one-shot, except not actually trademark. You know, the one thing that, I, that I'm thinking of right now is dragon egg omelet. That's all I can think of, and I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. Wait a second. Call of Cthulhu set in a restaurant. <laughs> Wait, Call of Cthulhu set on the Iron Chef set. Call of Cthulhu, but you're all bussers. Yes. <laughs> and like the head chef is like, you're crazy. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I love the idea of like you busting tables, having to put dishes into like the, the kitchen sinks area. And octopus tentacles that try to come out of the pipes or whatever. And you're like, no, Steven, not today. And you just continue with your work because you have an eight-hour shift. That is, that's it. That's it. That's it. I also don't know what that means, but that's it. That's what it is. I would listen to that. 
<laughs> I don't know even how to begin to write it. Uh, that that's okay. I'll figure it out. That sounds like a lot of fun, actually. We'll find out. Listeners, tell us. Do you want this? Yes. Do you want this burst into the yeah. world? <laughs> oh my god. Have you seen people making? I'm gonna go back to the omelet thing. Have you seen people who make ostrich? omelets i have and i'm really interested how do you get an ostrich egg very carefully that's how (laughs) i feel like i'd have to have like a party because it's a lot of egg Mm -hmm. like you can't just like make that and eat that yourself you're absolutely right it's like one of those gigantic pizzas that if you eat the whole thing you get like a discount yeah there's a place like that in new jersey that a lot of people go to what's your favorite pizza that you've ever had that's a really hard question I want you to give me one answer right now. That's it. Like, oh, God. Uh, Five. Oh, God. Four. All right, I got three. it. Three. Sa- okay. Sally's from uh, New Haven, Connecticut. My place might be the same place because it's also in Connecticut. I just don't know what it's called. Where is it? So I have family in Connecticut. And uh, when I was younger, we got takeout from an Italian restaurant. And it was almost dive-ish. It wasn't It wasn't a dive, but it was, about right. it was really small. And it was. I want to say it was like on a corner or like near like a really big like highway street it was a cheese pizza and when you bit into it it was the spiciest thing that you've ever had in your life because they created their own jalapeno infused olive oil and they used it to dress the cheese pizza what did the crust look like sorry for cutting you off because i think i know where that is i have no idea (laughs) if you want I, i can text my cousin and i can ask him where exactly the place is and what the name of the place is I'm not going to lie, I'm not really prepared because I don't really have anyone else who lives in Connecticut. No, no, that's so. okay. I, I actually lived in Connecticut for four years. Oh, that's nice. And Connecticut has some of the best pizza because a lot of their pizza is very unique, first of all. And second of all, they have really old pizza places. A lot of the pizza in the country is derivative of New York-style pizza. Mm-hmm. Connecticut pizza tends to be derivative of pizza from Naples. Sure. So you get that kind of brick oven wood fire pizza that you would get if you went to Italy. Yeah. And so they have some really, really good pizza places. They have some really crap places too. But a lot of people think of pizza, they think of New York. I guess you can kind of think of New Jersey. New Jersey has decent pizza. But Connecticut, they have pizza that's more close to... Classic. Classic pizza. Uh, and there's also different styles of pizza in Connecticut. There's New Haven style. There's also Stanford style pizza, which is garbage. Come at me. What's New Haven? Oh, well, New Haven is like Sally's Pepe's. It's more like a Neapolitan pizza. Sure. And okay. Stanford style pizza is more like a cracker crust. So it's more like. I don't like that. <laughs> like, like, you, you, mean, you mean like a flatbread? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like a flatbread. So. In Illinois, there's two different styles of Chicago pizza. It's closer to the flat style of Chicago pizza, like thin crust Chicago. That's what you get in Stanford. Interesting thing about Stanford is what you're describing is hot oil. And hot oil pizza is a Connecticut thing. Hmm. That is one of the aspects of the Stanford pizza. It's hot oil over a cracker crust. I know a lot about pizza. Yeah, it was, (laughs) I think, one of my favorite pizzas that I've ever had in my life because of how exciting it was, the novelty of it, and how good the original aspects of a pizza were in that pizza. Yeah, now I want to know where it is. Not that I'm in Connecticut right now. I will text you later on what it is, and we will tell everyone else. On Twitter. On Twitter. 
I don't have Twitter, so who knows? That's right, I got it. I'll let you know. I'll give you the details, guys. We'll give you the best pizza ever. The best pizza ever. Oh, hey. This is your friendly neighborhood surly turtle, Greg. And your social media manager, DeSombro. Just cutting in for a quick shameless self-promotion to tell you to like, share, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. To take part in polls or ask questions that you'd like us to answer in future Wine and Spirits episodes, or just to enjoy some spicy memes. To find all our handles in one convenient place, you can visit us on our website at rfedpod.com. If you like our show, sharing the show with your friends or leaving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice will really help us grow and reach more people. And if you have a project or a business you'd like to promote on the show, reach out to us at rfedpod at gmail.com. Is there a lot of stereotypes about New Jersey? I mean, when I was a freshman in high school, I did a musical called Nuns on a Roll, which was really (laughs) funny. It was a a bunch of nuns from a convent in New Jersey who couldn't take it anymore because of the pollution and their allergies and whatever. They, They decided to move to Las Vegas, Nevada. And these two New Jersey crooks, these gangsters that were bad at being bad, that had stereotypical New Jersey accents, followed them accidentally. And because a nun that had a previous gambling addiction tripped, fell, and put a coin to a slot machine and accidentally won $8 million. And the gangsters are going through plot after plot after plot, trying to figure out how to steal money from the nuns. And they end up using brute force, and then they get smited by the wrath of God. Oh my god, what? And it ends with the gangsters joining the convent, and that's how it ends, because it's a comedy and it needs a, a nice ending. They become nuns, is that? They they become priests, I imagine. I don't know, I don't really know much about organized religion. But the stereotype was um, cheap, greasy, bumbling idiot. Okay, fair. <laughs> but I feel like, <laughs> just say fair. Yeah. But I feel like the only reason that we had Jersey accents was for it to just be cartoony. Yeah. And I feel like that is the actual stereotype. No one has a real Jersey accent unless it's like, hey, what you doing over here, guys? So there is definitely people who have that accent, but it's mostly older people. Sure. And it's not as exaggerated. Like, I feel like when you hear it in the media, it's like not like that. And and you're right. Like most people from Jersey probably sound closer to what I sound like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For example, if you go to Hoboken and you mm-hmm. listen to people who weren't raised in Hoboken, you're going to get an accent that's closer to what you hear in the media. Yeah. Oh, God. What was his name? I want to say his name was Knuckles. And oh. Knuckles was bad at being bad and everything that he did sort of sounded a little bit like this. And I'll tell you one more thing, folks. Yeah, no one really sounds like that. I mean, not like (laughs) that cartoony, but yeah, I think to a degree, some of like the regional accents are sort of dying out in New Jersey. And that was always like a caricature anyway. Sure. I kind of don't know what to say. Is that bad that they're dying out? I don't know. (laughs) I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. I don't know what you lose in that. 
I don't know what you lose in that either. Because because you don't lose your culture with accents. Yeah, and you can't really stop accents from changing. It's just a part of linguistics. Mm-hmm. For example, Shakespeare plays. People use more modern British accents to perform those plays, but actually it probably sounded closer to a Southern American accent. Yeah, I've seen those articles that are just bizarre to think about. Absolutely bizarre. Which is kind of weird that like a place... I don't want to think about that, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. no, 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 that's fair. I guess what I mean is language is always changing and you can't stop it. Yeah, absolutely. But one thing that does somewhat make me sad is when like languages die out because if a whole language dies out then there's knowledge and information that also can die out with it you're absolutely right whether that's like a a language that is purely oral which is even sadder because you lose stories Mm -hmm. and then a language that is written it becomes harder to understand what was written down what stories can't be told anymore because they're from a language that people don't speak or don't understand and hasn't been passed down what did we lose from that but that being said language is always evolving so you can't really stop it but Mm -hmm. i would love to preserve it ah it just makes me think like what did we lose yeah what were the original stories i mean most of the Egyptian mythology that we know has been rewritten by italians by rome the original texts don't exist for the mythology at all i'm not going to say anything because i don't really I don't, I don't know any concrete evidence. All I remember is this big speech that one of my professors had about African mythology and how upset that she was. We were talking about voices before. I'm just going to go back a little bit. <laughs> so my question was, what, is, what are the accents that you feel comfortable in doing and having a character with that you are mentally prepared to do for a really long time? So Greg's accent is similar to people that I knew growing up, but obviously way more exaggerated, like way more exaggerated. Sure. So like I was comfortable doing that because it's not too far off of my own accent that I- That you kind of don't have. (laughs) That I don't have anymore. I don't really feel comfortable with accents in general. I don't know. I'm just not really great at them, but I've been trying to figure out how to do more of them. I'd be like comfortable with more of like a valley girl kind of, I could probably sure. do something like, like different that. ways of speaking. Right. Yeah. Like sure. I could do different intonations, different, like going up and down with my voice, but I, uh, I've never really been good with accents. I would love to try some. I've been listening to a lot of voice actors online and trying to like figure out how to better. Yeah. One of your struggles is to figure out how to, create stereotypical accents that you can have in your back pocket because who knows the type of people that your players are going to interact with and on top of that having interpretations of what races would have so i can't do a scottish accent or a dwarf-ish accent which are often seen stereotypically as scottish because of what's his face from lord of the rings to save my soul i just can't do it so I love the idea of like Southern dwarves. Oh. <laughs> to me, it's just the funniest thing. I just, I love the idea of Southern dwarves. And then for elves having posh accents. And yeah. for drow specifically having French accents. I just can't get out of my head. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, D&D itself takes a lot of inspiration from Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. 
there's other fantasy too. I feel like a Song of Ice and Fire. I don't know anything about Game of Thrones just because it's such a big hole that I kind of don't want to step my foot in just yet because I just I want to be really sure and I want to do it with all my strength and all my vigor and I just don't have the time for it. It is quite the time sink and unfortunately, yeah, there is no ending in sight. I got into it during the series round season three of Game of Thrones. Okay. I started reading the books and they're amazing. They're brilliant. So I know, I know that the TV finale is awful. No. Have you not read that far? No, I have seen the TV finale. I just have opinions. Go okay. on. I was going to ask, has the book series been finished? No, that's what I mean. Okay. So when I say it's a time sink and there's no end in sight, I, what I really mean is George R. R. Martin has not finished Winds of Winter. Does he not care to? I don't know. I don't. I. Because it's been a while. It's. <laughs> it's been a, a very long time. How long has it been? I don't even know. You know what? I. I need to look this up right now because I. I cannot remember. I. I, I think it's go, going on almost ten years. Ten years? No. Wow, that's a long time. And the thing is, is that Winds of Winter is not the final book. It's the penultimate book. It's so then my question to you is, if that many people are angry, and you know that that many people are angry, do you think that once he finishes the book, do you think that they're going to refilm it due to the way his book goes? I mean, I would hope so. The finale was a travesty. It was really, really bad. Mm -hmm. Just to give you some context, for the listeners out there, I am a Daenerys Targaryen cosplayer. I see it. I see it. I absolutely see it. So I literally had people. Oh, thank you for the Pop-Tart. I got a Pop-Tart. What type of Pop-Tarts do you get? Is this blueberry? Oh, it's my favorite. It's blueberry. Oh, it's so good. So after the finale, someone messaged me and told me I was a bad person. Like someone I hadn't talked to in a long time. Why? I saw that you posted pictures of you as Daenerys and, like, you should be ashamed of yourself. Why? Obviously, you shouldn't harass cosplayers. Like, Yeah, 100%. That's, like, rule one when you step into Supercon is don't be rude to people that sink your time into this. But, yeah, it was so bad that people were legitimately, like, how could you murder? And I'm not even the actress. Like, I can't even imagine how, yeah. like, she feels. But, like, people were harassing the cosplayers who were cosplaying as the character to be, like, how could you murder all those people? And uh, I hope this isn't a spoiler. Uh, come on, everyone's seen the Game of Thrones. I mean, I guess you have It's been Sorry. 10 years, guys. No, it hasn't. It's been a little bit, though. Well, it's been 10 years since the show started oh okay. and it's been 10 years since george r. r martin published the last book it's a really long time and you know what like i totally don't want to stress him out and say like you have to get this book out to people but it is a little bit of a letdown to get so invested in yeah. a series and be so excited for it and to think like well it's basically been dropped Right. The inertia is just dead. Maybe that'll like alleviate some pressure on him. But another thing that bothers me is that he doesn't like fan fiction writers that much. And I don't know if this is true. Maybe it's not true. I've heard that he doesn't want his unfinished manuscripts to be released if he ever dies. And I, I'm not saying that he's going to die, but if it takes him 10 years to finish one book, it could take him 20 years to finish two books. Yeah. And he doesn't want the unfinished manuscripts to be released. Sure. He doesn't want people to write an ending. 
I get it. It's yours, but I'm also like, you started this, and it's basically like you will never get this ending. That's rude as hell. <laughs> and also, here's this yeah. awful ending that makes no sense. I mean, the TV show is basically fan fiction. Yeah, and you know what? It was good fan fiction for the first four seasons, and that's it. Wow. So yeah, I could recommend it because it's good, but I also don't want to recommend it because it's very sure. like just switching gears only just a little bit. I'm talking about Lord of the Rings now that I love the movies. I've seen them all multiple times. Read The Hobbit because it's really short. Part of me wants to really just do like Silmarillion deep dive, which I hear is a little daunting. But also I read D&D core books on my spare time. So like how hard can it be? As far as I hear that it's basically the same thing. It's just like a big source book monster manual sort of thing. So I kind of want to do a deep dive into Tolkien lore and see the connections between it and D&D, as that is my baby, old school D&D lore, and how it relates to uh, interpretations of D&D lore, which also I love. When you write a D&D campaign, you have to decide how much original D&D lore you're going to accept into your world. <laughs> what is the percentage of like original D&D, like, like Gary Gygax lore and homebrew lore? You're gonna have i think scott did a great job with the uh the whole saints idea in his pantheon business i became so attached to the idea of the demon lords and arc devils and their dealings with people like joaquin and the murder of mistra and i love it so much that it's truly difficult every time that i want to create a DD campaign that i have to backtrack to the beginning and creationist stories and the pantheon of all this and i'm sure that dm's listening you feel my pain that stuff's really cool though it seems like there's a dense i don't want to say backstory but like but no you're, you're you're right there is sort of a dense lore there's like a lot a lot of it and it's terrifying it, it's really just a wall of text as a, a newbie, I am very terrified by it. <laughs> but also, there's really great little bits here and there. I mean, do you know anything about, like, the outer planes and the different dimensions that you can go to? And how cool they are? No. But that sounds cool. So it's been rewritten several times. I'm talking about the 5v1 to anyone listening. I want to see if there's, like, 12 planes. There might be more. And they're categorized by lawfulness or chaoticness and goodness and evil. So you can go to, like, Bator, or, like, the Nine Hells. You can go to Yisgard, where heroes go to die and live and die and live and die, battle every day over and over and over again nonstop. If you're a ranger, you can go to the Beastlands, where you can live each day hunting the most exotic and crazy beasts day after day and you can go to the abyss if you're truly an awful person which is where the demons are and you become like a slug eventually eaten by a greater demon so do you actually look like a slug i can look it up if you want and i'll, I'll send it to you because my head cannon is just like almost like a rick and morty sort of like you're just in the slug universe now and everyone's just a slug no i'm thinking about it so, like, if I went there and didn't turn into a slug and I had a lot of salt, I could, like, really wreck people. <laughs> uh, maybe. It might be the Nine Hells. My computer's internet is not fast enough for me to search this up and have a conversation about it at the same time. Whatever. I'll look it up and I'll send it to you. Yeah, no, no worries. Yeah, I'll, but what I'm getting to is that, so out of all of the outer planes that exist, your character lives in the material plane. 
within the space of the material plane, there is this place called the Concordant Opposition, which is a place of true neutrality that lives adjacent to every single outer plane. And on top of this high spire in the Concordant Opposition is a ring of a city called Sigil. That is a city that is easily accessible by anyone in the universe of D&D. Meaning that you can walk around in the city, accidentally go through a door, and enter like Strahd's Domain in Ravenloft. Or you can take a flying carpet, go through a portal into a desert bazaar in the Talenta Plains in Eberron somewhere. Actually, you can't go to Eberron. But yeah, there, there's a lot of little cool nuggets of lore here and there that you kind of want to take. But the cost of taking that is that everything that comes with the City of Sigil should also be canon. So you have to do a lot of research. Yeah. So the question is, where do you draw the line on what is canon within your universe? And if you say, well, oh, well, I want to do everything. Well, that's what an awful idea, because then you're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then when you start your first D&D session, you're going to have to do a whole six hours about going shopping and none of it's going to be useful. <laughs> I had players that did that to me once. And when you DM a game, it's not your game. It's your player's game. And, it's, and it takes a certain amount of maturity to understand that. That's fair. And it hurts. And it hurts sometimes, but, um, you know. I mean, I'm sure if you do that much research and you're putting in that much effort, it probably is pretty frustrating. But at the same time, I, I feel like, and I don't know, I'm a newbie, it's almost like improv. It's very much improv. <laughs> like improv with miniatures, if you do that. Fantasy improv. It's a lot of theater of the mind. Yeah. To uh, conceptualize these epic battles that are happening that within your fantasy scape take maybe 24 seconds tops when in reality they are narrated over the span of like an hour and a half and sometimes the span of seven hours seven hours of can't record or your recording software goes haywire and then you have to re-record and then after you finish the seven hours you realize that one of your friends just three hours did not record and so now you have to re-record three hours it sounds very familiar to me almost like you're retelling a story that i lived yeah all right listeners <laughs> <laughs> and on that note <laughs> on that note we told you way too much so. yeah i'm sure half of this is going to be cut but probably um, but yeah. they have something to look forward to which is absolutely this is going to be the summer of Strahd summer stride well i'm so happy to talk to you again this is our second interview or our third technically yeah so, i think I, I don't remember but yeah no i, I think know. you're right it's our third interview so it was really great it's catching up absolutely so much fun i'd love to do this again yes that sounded really sarcastic but i do mean that. are you sure <laughs> <laughs> anyways uh... <laughs> <laughs> no you know what we will do this again after you figure out food wars the game <laughs> After I figure out Food Wars the game. I'm not going to call it Food Wars. I'll call it something else. Yeah, because you'll probably get sued. So don't do I'll that. I'll probably get sued because it's an anime. And yeah. I want to say it's also a TV show. Well, cool. Thank you, everyone, for listening to us. We will catch you all later. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Rock's Fall, Everyone Dies. It would really help us if you subscribe, share, and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. 
Our theme music is by Taylor Calise. Additional sound effects courtesy of Zapsplat.com. And our thumbnail art is by John Bliss. Find more of his work on Twitter at John Blissart. Our episodes are produced by me and co-edited by our resident Mushroom Jin, who streams on twitch.tv slash phantomclip. Our social media manager is our favorite surly turtle, Sombra. You can find all of our social media handles and full show notes on our website, rfedpod.com. 